0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko's Wetsuit. Today it's the morning of Friday, the third of December, and I'm joined here in Seoul around the NK News table by three members of the NK News team, James Fretwell, Jongmin Kim, and Colin Zwirko. Towards the end of the episode, I'll be joined by Chad O'Carroll for a one-on-one session. So we're basically a warm-up act. And today we'll be talking about some of the major stories of November, including the mystery of whether or not Squid Games has been smuggled into North Korea. Before we get started, please, everyone, leave a review about the podcast wherever you can, and that's so that we can get discovered more easily. No reviews means no new listeners, and that would be a disservice to the hard work that we're doing here around this very table. And while you're at it, please share this episode with everyone you know and three people you don't. Secondly, check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription. Thirdly, have you seen the NK News calendar for 2022? It's wonderful. It's limited in stock. You can find it at nknews.org shop. And if you have feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, send them to podcast at nknews.org. Okay, James, Jongmin, Colin, welcome back on the podcast. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having us. James, each month you write the month in review booklet that is distributed to all NK Pro subscribers at the start of the new month. Let's give listeners a taste of what's in the month in review for November. Uh, I understand that COVAX has allocated some COVID-19 vaccines to North Korea. What's going on? I thought North Korea had decided not to accept vaccines from anybody.
1: Well, yes, as you just said, uh, I do the month in review every month. And by the time this podcast comes out and uh, the listeners are listening in, you will be able to find that on NK Pro under the month in review section. Um, Yes, uh, North Korea has been allocated many vaccines but it has not yet started a vaccination program Mm -hmm. um this month it was allocated 4.7 million more doses of astrazeneca bringing the total to around 6.8 million i believe they haven't started the vaccination program so and also the key point is that even if they did start the vaccination program the amount of vaccines that have currently been allocated would only cover a, a fraction of the population. So, oh, hang on, hold on.
0: What's the generally accepted population of North Korea? Is it around the sort of twenty-two to twenty-four million mark?
1: You know, I, I looked this up on the CIA Fact Book, and what number did I include in the actual month-in-review? I believe twenty-six million. There we go. Okay.
0: Jongmin, uh, you've got your hand up.
2: But uh, the important thing I think uh, here is that the Pyongyang population and i think the recent fact book or something else was that it's around 3 million. Mm-hmm. So usually the vaccine doses it it needs two doses per person. So this means that the 6.8 million if distributed well, it could pop uh, it could inoculate the entire people of Pyongyang or maybe some people in the border area or the disinfection center area. Mm. So at least it could be um, OK for some sort of mild opening for goods, perhaps, but it doesn't mean um, like James said, will um, be enough for vaccinating the entire population.
1: Yeah, and I think the the key point is, I mean obviously, as Jongmin said, you know, most health authorities uh, acknowledge that just getting vaccines in, in anyone's arms is good for the people that receive them. But if we're thinking about the country reopening, then North Korea's at least going to we assume going to want to have vaccinated the vast majority of its population so until the majority of its population is vaccinated uh, don't expect the borders to be
0: uh, reopening anytime soon has the north korean government made any noises in the last month at all that indicate that it may be about to start a vaccination program with the vaccines that have been allocated to it by covax no no Okay, and what's this about the World Health Organization going to cooperate with the South Korean Ministry of Unification to deliver vaccines and more to the North Korean medical sector? Well, there were talks in November
1: between the WHO and South Korean officials. Uh, these aren't the. This isn't the first time the Ministry of Unification has talked about providing vaccines to North Korea. Um, I think the problem will be that South Korea's. Uh, Well, there's a new COVID variant. Not everyone in South Korea has been vaccinated. It wants to do booster shots. So providing vaccines to North Korea. While the Ministry of Unification might want to do it, it might be a political problem if they suddenly announce that South Korea wants to vaccinate the entire population of North Korea. Um, The vaccines could come from other places. They're not going to come from China, probably, because North Korea has already rejected Mm. three million doses of Sinovac. They could come potentially from the US. The US has uh, pledged millions of doses of the Pfizer vaccine to low income countries. But again, um, there are many countries in the world that still uh, have the most of their populations as unvaccinated. Is the US going to put North Korea at the top of the list? Maybe not. Maybe North Korea will uh, still have to wait for a while to come for the vaccines, and we'll, we'll even have to wait and see whether it's interested in receiving vaccines from the US. Yeah, anyway, bottom line, I think there's a, there's a, there's a very, very, very long way to go
0: for North Korea's vaccination programme. And as Jong-min just mentioned, that, uh, it would seem that vaccines of some degree would be necessary before North Korea starts to, uh, to reopen for trade. Is there any sign of North Korea wanting to reopen in the near future? I
1: think North Korea, well... It would like to reopen because its economy has been uh, really decimated by the COVID va- uh, nineteen pandemic uh, by its own very very strict uh, border regulations. We saw in November that there were some um, bids opened for construction um, on the on the Chinese side uh, near um, large uh, trading areas with North Korea, which indicated that perhaps. Um, North Korea and China, were at least putting the preparations in place to reopen the border. Now, does that mean that a border opening is imminent? Probably not. Uh, There was news of uh, COVID emerging in the Chinese border area in November. Also, of course, you have the new COVID variants, and North Korea is going to be very aware of that. I would look at these uh, preparations, including the disinfection facilities on the North Korean side near the border, as preparations for, well, when we feel it is, we are able, when the COVID situation has died down a little bit, when it's appropriate to reopen the border slightly,
0: that we at least have all the pieces in place for that to happen. Now, uh, North Korea, of course, has many uh, sanctions levied against it by the United Nations, Uh, In order to achieve some kind of activity, to carry out an activity, rather, in North Korea, you need to have uh, United Nations exemptions to those sanctions. I understand that a South Korean church has uh, received an exemption to uh, some of those sanctions to do some kind of medical work in North Korea. What's going on there?
1: Uh, So the Yoido Full Gospel Church has been uh, given a sanctions exemption to deliver 1,200 items uh, for the construction of a cardiac
0: hospital in Pyongyang. Um, Is that a a brand new hospital unrelated to the as yet unopened Pyongyang uh, General Medical uh, Hospital? It is unrelated
1: to the Pyongyang General Medical Hospital, but it's not a brand new construction uh, project. Um, The the church had been working on this before, and according to the church, construction is roughly 70% complete, and if the church was able to go in again, it would take... Uh, around six months apparently to finish the construction the issue is again north korea's um border restrictions how are you going to get these goods in it, 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 it might be another case of uh, a sanctions exemption that needs to be uh, renewed every year until mm. uh, there is the opportunity for the church to go in and finish this, the construction.
0: Right. And of course, it's all very well having an, a sanctions exemption. But if North Korea isn't opening up, then that's, uh, we're still not going to see any activity there. So all this that we've just talked about uh, in the, the health area and, and, and sort of human you know, security, what does all this matter? Why does all this matter, rather?
1: Uh, in terms of the vaccines?
0: No, in, in terms of the whole human security area, why does it all matter? What's the importance of it?
1: Well, um, firstly, the, the economy has totally tanked during the COVID-19 pandemic. So one of the things uh, at the office we're all watching is when will North Korea open its borders uh, at least to uh, a little bit more trade, it's very unlikely that people uh, will be able to uh, come into North Korea for a a long while to come. That includes tourists, obviously, but also diplomats, humanitarian workers. There are currently zero foreign uh, humanitarian workers in North Korea at the moment. Uh, Many, many diplomats have left the country. This is important for the humanitarian situation because donors from outside are going to be uh, very reluctance to give aid if they cannot do an on the uh, on the ground needs assessment. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a catch twenty two. We we assume that North Korea needs aid because of the COVID nineteen pandemic, but the pandemic restrictions are preventing the outsiders coming into the country to do the necessary um, on the grounds. Um, inspection. I think a, another thing that I I wonder about a lot is that in the in the border areas um, before the pandemic, these were the areas that were doing a lot of smuggling with China. That was how their uh, local economy really worked. Now, of course, the um, North Korea is very is is very very. Tightly shutting down the border, there are reportedly uh, shoot-on-on-site orders for anyone approaching the border with with China to prevent the spread of the pandemic. So the border seems totally shut off, which means that we have to assume that these local economies are also being really decimated. These are the communities that are furthest from the capital city, so we uh, we have to be wondering how um, how those people are, are getting on over the last two
0: years and perhaps for months and even years to come. Okay. Wow. Uh all right, uh, let's turn now to Jongmin. Jongmin in under in just under 15 weeks, South Koreans will know who will be the next president after Moon Jae-in. What have you learned about the two main candidates and their policies towards North Korea?
2: Uh I I can talk about three main categories I thought of maybe the listeners would be interested in. First would be end of war declaration, which has been a hot topic for a while now. Um, Denuclearization and also their views on summit with Kim Jong-un, and these are quite reflective of their general views on North Korea.
0: Okay, can we carve out the end-of-war declaration for a later section in this episode and focus on the, the second the second, and third of the three issues you mentioned?
2: Denuclearization. Yes. Uh, if, on denuclearization, uh, they have, both of them have quite, Different and similar views from Moon administration, uh, but the Yoon camp uh, is quite. Uh, uh, they, they are going for, it seems, cont- something similar to containment policy.
0: Hang on, for our listeners at home, that's uh, former uh, Prosecutor General Yoon Song Yol, who is of the People's Power Party.
2: Uh, his view, it seems, is that uh, sanctions and pressure is important. Uh, he says uh, his camp uh, has a view that. Uh, Incentives are important as well and they have to come up with a roadmap towards denuclearization at the start of their term but um, they have to mix the pressure side and the incentive side well to make North Korea understand that um, it is beneficial for them to actually take measures for uh, so-called substantial, or pro- uh, substantial progress when it comes to denuclearization. Um, they are not aiming for something like complete, verifiable, um, irreversible denuclearization from the start, but they are in a view that something as, at least something like a gradual uh, progress towards denuclearization is important. But they are against unilateral incentive given to North Korea, and also they are in a view that UNSC sanctions are important and effective, and that the way, the best way to bring North Korea back to the dialogue table is through international pressure through um, sanctions by the United uh, Nations. Um, and, but in contrast, the Yoon Myung camp, the former governor of the Kanggi province. Sees that uh, they do not rule out the effectiveness that the Moon administration had during the 2018 and 19 inter-Korean relations detente, but uh, uh, but it seems that they are also pessimistic about um, the, the the possibility of making North Korea feel like they need nuclearization as well. So their view is that they need both incentive and disincentive, which is similar to mm. Yun Camp's view, but the. It seems the, the 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 way in which they are going to do that is very different, and they are looking at the so-called flexible measures when they are dealing with North Korea in negotiation. But uh, and until here, it's very similar to Moon administration. But the thing they added uh, this time is that if. North Korea does something wrong, they will say something about it. It seems that this is something like a reaction to how they saw that there were a lot of public criticism about uh, current President Moon Jae-in just... um, not responding back when there were a lot of insults coming from North Korea. And Lee jae is playing this card as our uh, national pride uh, South of South Koreans have been risen and the practical diplomacy should follow that. So he's saying that if North Korea does something bad, we should react to it and say that it's wrong but their main uh, idea is still dialogue and important.
0: I wonder, is it uh, just that they, they said we're going to say something if North Korea does something wrong, or is there more to it than that? For example, has either candidate mentioned what would happen if North Korea were to do another Yeonpyeong-do shelling or sinking of the Chonan? I mean, is there an indication that one or both of those candidates says we would react in a kinetic way, or simply we would you know, wag our finger and say, well, that's no good, North Korea, we don't like it?
2: For now, it's unclear. And to be fair to the Moon administration, it's not like he didn't say anything to North Korea. Uh, In March this year as well, he said the power leads to peace and that he said the national defense is very important in deterring North Korea. And the entire, uh, a lot of uh, weapons test in South Korea as well was about that, deterring North Korea. So it's not like Moon administration didn't say Mm -hmm. anything, but Lee the, the statement about saying something too wrong to because mm. I think it's just uh, mostly right now aimed at the the, po- uh, the 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 popular audience.
0: Is there an indication in South Korea that voters care about a candidate's North Korea policy when they go to the electoral, po- uh, the polling booth? Uh,
2: polls show that their uh, main agenda is economic issues, mm-hmm. as we all know, mm. uh, but it's not like foreign policy is not on their radar but north korea issue per se wouldn't be the uh decisive issue when it comes to this year's uh election especially mm-hmm. uh, yeah and are
0: there any uh, uh minor candidates running for election who have some very different or uh, exciting or novel uh, north korea policy
2: I-, I will pass that question for now okay yeah
0: yeah uh, I, I wonder whether a, a, we're close to a time when a, a South Korean political candidate might say, um, we're going to go for peaceful, not cooperation, um, coexistence, where North Korea will never never come back to the fold, we will never have unification, we're okay with two Koreas. Yes, Jong-min.
2: Uh, so it, I, I forgot to mention it, but the interesting thing about this year is presidential candidates is that neither side is going for the symbolic meaning of uh, relations with north korea mm. until now the moon administration largely following the legacy of previous presidents um, such as sunshine policy architect and so on and so forth they were uh, sticking to this idea of um, as koreans we should work together mm. and they were still using this term unification as actual unification to some extent right but um, even the progressive uh candidate Jae myung recently in a talk with university students his that he said that um, it's already too late to pursue unification did you say that yes
0: And was he pressed what he meant by that?
2: But uh, to be fair to him, Mm -hmm. the entire context was that uh, a lot of people use the word unification in different sense now, and some people refer to it as a de facto state of unification, Mm. which could refer to many things, including union or federation. But it seems that people are moving away from this idea about the normative thought about how we should Mm -hmm. go for unification because... ABC. But rather, Lee Jae-myung, as a progressive candidate, he is going for this pragmatic North Korea policy, saying that it is for peaceful coexistence and economic cooperation, Mm -hmm. not because of 우리 which means Mm -hmm. Koreans together.
0: Okay, well, so that is a bit of a shift. And in terms of economic cooperation, is either party uh, very, uh, either candidate very... Um, vocal about wanting to reopen, say, uh, Kaesong or Kumgangsan? Is that part of the the platform, or is it not really a big issue now?
2: They are not yet referring to individual economic projects that were stalled. uh, But generally, uh, Lee jae Young he is known as a governor. Uh, Very few of the governors who actually got UN sanctions exemptions for inter-Korean cooperation Mm. projects, so we can see where he's going. But uh, Yoon Camp, uh, they say that any large-scale economic project should come after we see substantial progress from the North Korea and denuclearization side. Okay.
0: Now, Colin, Kim Jong-un has recently returned to the public eye after uh, one of those absences. Are, are these absences becoming more frequent?
3: Uh, yes. After, after about, well, starting in 2018, he started to, to make more frequent Breaks, But since COVID started, especially the beginning of 2020, uh, he's been taking a lot of these two-week breaks, which uh, as a marker, it makes sense because if you look back uh, at his first five years in power, there were a couple years where he didn't take any breaks as long as two weeks at all, Um, maybe as as long as about 10 days or so, Mm. Um, and only five such long breaks in the first five years combined. So this year, he's already taken nine. He took 10 long breaks last year. Um, he just took a, a over a month long break uh, in October uh, until November. So it's it's a pattern definitely mm. that's emerging in the last couple of years. Now there's often a an undue focus
0: on these absences in uh, sort of the popular mainstream press. You know, uh, speculating: is he dead? Is he in a coma? Is he uh, paranoid about COVID? Are these absences important, or these breaks are they important, or or can we? Uh, simply see them as part of his ruling style, a bit like Trump going to spend two weeks golfing at Mar-a-Lago. Wait, did he? Well, I'm not sure about the two weeks, but I know he went to Mar-a-Lago quite a lot, but I'm not sure it was two weeks. But anyway, go on.
3: I I would push back a little bit. It's it's not that there is uh, a lot of this tendency. Like is he dead or whatever. That's usually those are usually uh, people saying it to be ironic or joking, and it doesn't come out in mainstream media that often, to be honest. And when it does, there's usually usually some kind of peg. Like in 2020, when when there were when there were reports from credible news sites such as daily NK, K uh, who have reported correctly from inside North Korea before, you know, about that. He had some cardiac uh, episode. So um, when it comes out big in mainstream media, that there is an actual health issue, it's usually uh, related to some evidence at, at least despite it being so opaque. Uh, so in, in terms of his being gone from the public eye a lot, uh, it can be as easy as just saying it's because of COVID um, you know, North Korea claims they don't have any cases in the country ever since the start of the pandemic, um, but they tacitly acknowledge that there's a possibility that their border defenses can have holes in it. Uh, so the the idea is everyone has to be vigilant no matter what at all times um, because the virus could come in at any moment mm. um, via all sorts of you know snow, rain, whatever, uh, birds. So the maybe not rain, but <clears throat> the uh, the idea that he could be avoiding uh, public Inspections and stuff going to factories because of that that makes sense, um, or it could be down to his style. you know maybe he uh, doesn't feel the need to go out to factories every other day to inspire people. Maybe he just feels uh, comfortable uh, ruling from his you know various mansions around the country. so uh, where did he appear most recently
0: after this uh, latest absence, and what kind of event was it?
3: okay, so yeah he he went up to uh this mountain town construction project up at Mount Pictou in the middle of uh November um and that ended one of his longest his second longest break ever out of the public eye. And then he took another two-week break over two weeks, and then he showed up at a Politburo meeting uh, on Wednesday. Mm. Um, and I just watched the, the the video; they just aired the video last night on a Thursday night of that Politburo meeting. And it looks like Kim Jong Un convened it at about 11 p.m. on Wednesday night. It's a late one. Yeah, it's quite um, interesting. It maybe it tells you something about his style, maybe his tactics, or maybe his busy schedule. Who knows? Mm. It's kind of interesting. Um, And they only discussed a couple things. Uh, Important one to look forward to is uh, uh, the Central Committee uh, Politburo announced that they're going to hold a plenum uh, at the end of this year, late December, they said. So what we should expect at that is uh, the whole Central Committee and uh, top party officials coming together for uh, probably a multi-day meeting, as we've seen at plenums in the last couple of years. Mm. So How large is that? When you say the, the, the out, whole
0: central committee, what are we talking about, a few hundred people?
3: Well, in terms of party members joining in a large auditorium, yeah, like hundreds uh, to thousands of people probably. Mm. Um, so they'll, you know, up until 2019, Kim Jong-un would start the year with kind of a review and a look ahead. He would talk about foreign policy, the U.S., inter-Korean relations, things that everyone pays attention to. Uh, he would talk about military um, developments, nuclear status, stuff like that. And it, it's kind of a good marker to set the stage for the year and to, to kind of read between the lines, see where North Korea is going, um, and prepare for what's to come. Uh, starting in 2020, so for the last two years, he's done it. Uh, in a more formal setting so i think this has to do with this uh, institutionalization of the the party kind of um it's not just kim jong-un's uh you know personal uh directives as the new year address sitting on a couch or at a podium it's actually part of the party procedure so Mm. it's going to be at the end of 2019 they did a four-day plenum to end to end the year and everyone was looking at that time because uh the stalled denuclearization talks was kind of uh, you know, just after Oslo, I think, uh, at the end of 2019. So, uh, and then at the, start of 20, at the start of 2021, the party congress lasting for eight days in January, that's whenever we got uh, the big long speech about, you know, n- military development, nuclear plans, US-South Korea relations. So uh, probably something like that will come out again at the end of this month.
0: Now, this plenum that you mentioned that's coming up uh, at the end of this month, uh, and exactly two weeks from the date of recording of this podcast will be the the seventeenth of December, which is ten years since the death of Kim Jong Il. So uh, that that's I wonder if that's a is it timed in that way to sort of be a a review of the last ten years and and to commemorate
3: that, or is there a separate event for that? Do, do we know? So we don't know anything about uh, the relationship between this plenum and his ten-year mark. Uh, I would say all we can say is it's a coincidence because they would hold something at the end of the year anyway, because of their tendency to kind of wrap up end of year and look ahead to the next year. So it's a coincidence that it's happening to, uh, with the anniversary. So yeah, Kim Jong-il died December 17th. Uh, state media announced it a couple of days later. And then Kim Jong-un was made Supreme Commander of the Armed Forces on December 30th, uh, by the Politburo, but they were pointing back to something that Kim Jong-il said like in October. Mm. So uh, December 30th is the official date of Kim Jong-un's first most significant title. So that's okay. a date that could coincide with maybe the the end or, uh, I don't know, I, I, I tend to think that they're gonna. it's going to be one of the days of the plenum and they're just kind of going to overlook it maybe. I don't know, it could go either way to mm. me. Um, and there could be, because you know, December 17th is going to probably be all about Kim Jong-il. Um, uh, less about celebrating Kim jong Il on that day is my guess. Right. Yeah, I, st- I still remember hearing about the, uh, the death of
0: Kim Jong-il very shortly after it happened. I think it may actually have been before it was on North Korean news because I was working in the tourism industry in South Korea and our most popular tour then probably, uh, well, not now, but at that time our most popular tour was the JSA tour to, uh, up to Panmunjom. And uh, as soon as something goes on in North Korea, the JSA gets locked down and no tour buses go in there anymore. So the tourism industry always has a very quick read on when something's going on in North Korea. And uh, immediately we knew yeah, that, uh, that, that Kim Jong-il had died or that something had happened with him. And then sure enough, uh, you know, the stories came out after that. So it was, um, yeah, it was a time of great uncertainty. And now here we are 10 years later.
3: Uh, um, it's... Yeah. The- the interesting thing I think this time is if you there's one thing you can do you can comp- you can compare the the ten year anniversary of the death of Kim Il Sung, which is at the same time the ten year mark celebrating uh, a decade of Kim Jong Il's rule, right? And so that's what we have right now. We have ten year sad moment, the the anniversary of Kim Jong Il for the people, a uh, happy moment ten years celebrating Kim Jong Un. So how do you do both at the same time? Uh, in so what was it 2004? Then is that yeah, 2004.
0: no yeah. Alive 2004.
3: Yeah. So at that time, the Rodong Shinmun was really all about uh, uh, looking back on Kim Il-sung. Uh, not so much about celebrating Kim Jong-il. So at this time, what we see differently is there's been this campaign going on since even, I think, like June... Uh, celebrating ten year, ex- explicitly 10 years of Kim Jong Un and looking back on all the things that he's, uh, you know, reportedly done for the country, mm-hmm. all the development. So um, that's kind of a separate uh, uh, a thing that Kim Jong Un is doing for himself that Kim Jong Il didn't appear to do for himself to to that extent at the yeah. time. But um, I haven't reviewed everything solidly, just maybe Rodong Shun-moon, So it's not a complete uh, study or anything. But
0: is there a sense then in which uh, Kim Jong Il is is being Shunted into history.
3: Uh, no, I mean, I, there is a lot of talk these days about what's going on with Kim Jong Un's cult of personality. Is he, you know, the party is getting rid of certain, uh, you know, a lot of the Kim, jo- Kim references to Kim Il Sung, Kim Jong Il, and the party rules. And uh, there are a lot of things happening at the same time. A big boost to Kim Jong Un's cult of personality, but I don't think that's coming at the expense. Of like putting down Kim Il Sung, Kim Jong Ilism. Mm-hmm. I think those things are still everywhere. They're in your face all the time. Everyone's wearing the pins, slogans all over the country still reference these guys. Uh, I don't see any attempt to to get rid of them. If anything, there's just kind of this uh, simultaneous institutional institutionalization of the party to make it more formal, and at the same time, some somewhat contradictorily, really is this uh, lifting up Kim Jong Il to gr- or Kim Jong un to greater and greater godlike status. Mm. Uh, James, back to you and the, uh, the month in review. Uh, you wrote a, a section on the
0: end of war declaration and, and also uh, uh, foreign relations. But let's let's talk a bit about the end of war declaration and, and who wants to have one and who doesn't. And is there ambiguity here? So this is one of uh, South Korean presidents uh, President Moon
1: Jae-in's uh, big pushes before the end of his presidency. Uh, the key thing to point out is that this, uh, the end of war declaration, isn't one of uh, a big new idea. Um, when the armistice was signed in 1953, even this was only meant to be a, a, a temporary thing. There were negotiations in 1954 that fell through. Um, there were talks between uh, former South Korean, uh, Moon Jae-in's liberal predecessor, Hyon, wanted to uh, have an end-of-war declaration, and President Bush basically said uh sure we'll have an end of war declaration when north korea gives up its nuclear weapons so that's where we've come from um at the moment that kind of seems to be the uh the us's position still um we assume so south korea is has been saying that this end of war declaration would be the the first of three stages toward peace on the Korean Peninsula. Okay, three stages. Run through them for us quickly. The first stage would be an end-of-war declaration, which would be purely political. Now, why is this important that it would be purely political? Well, um, obviously, America would be very wary of scrapping the armistice deal entirely because that would uh, put in question the presence of American troops on the peninsula and United Nations command. Um, and the second two stages would be um, the, the peace treaty and the peace regime. Um, now, South Korean officials have been meeting with their American counterparts a lot over the um, recent weeks. The South Korean statements are always very optimistic. We're in the final stages, end of war declaration just around the corner, we're going to present something to North Korea. Final stages, final stages. Um, the U.S. is giving a little bit uh, more of a, of a cautious impression. Um, for example, um, in October, uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said something along the lines of, we're, we're, we're kind of in agreement with South Korea, but it's, it's about uh, sequencing. It's about timing. Mm. When do we do what things first? Uh, which I assume means still that America is going to insist that uh, the war cannot be declared over until North Korea gives up its nuclear weapons. So um, if South Korea and the US do come out with something, we're probably going to expect uh, that the end-of-war declaration is conditional on denuclearization or at the very, very, least i think the best result that south korea could possibly hope for is some kind is the us agreeing to something like the the singapore declaration again just some kind of vague mm. promise from north korea that you know one day it will it will give up its nuclear weapons so President okay. moon's mm. only
0: got a couple of months left in office uh, now unless north korea is going to uh, sign this as a pdf and hand it back uh, by email I, there's, I don't see any way given current North Korean self-imposed quarantine, uh, that Kim Jong-un or anybody would come down to Panmunjom to sign or receive a, an end-of-war declaration. How how realistic is, is this? I mean, how much is Moon taking his legacy on this?
1: Well, you know, this is one of the um, key questions. Uh, of course, it takes two to tango. So let's just assume that the US agrees to whatever South Korea is pushing. Um, now... The so in this
0: case, it actually takes three to tango. <laughs> okay. It's a very big tango. tango. It's
1: a very complex mm. tango um, <laughs> with, with deep <laughs> historical roots. Um, so for this tango to work, obviously, North Korea needs to join in. Um, North Korea has been, Kim Jong-un has said that uh, in order to have an end of war declaration that South Korea should drop its hostile policy, which basically means yes, the hostile policy, which probably means something like sanctions relief, um, stop military exercises, stop building up so, investing so much in your in your militaries um now. The interesting thing is that uh, actually during the Trump administration, North Korea was very much for the end-of-war declaration. It was really pushing the Trump administration, come on, let's sign this declaration. Um, so why why was that? And there there could be numerous reasons, one of which, remember in 2017, there was lots of worry that the US and North Korea might be going to war. So maybe Kim Jong-un was thinking, you know, if we sign this end of war declaration quickly, maybe we can, you know, reduce tensions that mm. way. Um, and uh, another possibility is, as you say, Moon jae term in office is running out and he's really publicly... Pushing this this idea of the end of war declaration, so North Korea might think, oh, we we might have some leverage over Moon Jae-in. He really wants this for his own legacy, so let's use this against him. Let's let's say we need the U.S. to drop its hostile policy and use South Korea to really push Washington to to get some kind of sanctions relief or some kind of concessions for us, so that we're not just signing this end of war declaration for nothing. Um, and also as you say covid-19 north korea's totally shut down um who would come out to to sign this this declaration um you know if if north korea won't 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 come out to play then um it's it's not looking good for for moon jae in i think even for the south korean president though um for the moon moon jae administration even if the end-of-war declaration isn't signed, it, it's still, at the very least, it's at least something that maybe they're hoping that North Korea will respond to, to at least get the ball rolling on talks.
0: But it it's, does seem like North Korea is playing hard to get there.
1: Yes, so I think the bottom line is, for many, many uh, historical and current reasons, the end-of-war declaration is Extremely unlikely
0: to happen before the end of Moon's term. Mm. Okay, uh, Jongmin, what were you going to say about the uh, end of war declaration and uh, in relation to the two uh, candidates for the South Korean presidency?
2: Uh, before I go into the president candidates, uh, presidential candidates, just to follow-up on James's comment on hostile policy. Another thing they added in recent statements in, uh in fall this year was uh, uh, the thing about double standards. And double standards is something about uh, something referring to. Uh, South Korea's recent arms buildup mm-hmm. as well, as well as North Korea, South Korea was building. Uh, they were testing submarine-launched ballistic missiles among everything else. They did engine tests as well, air-to-surface missiles. And um, they, when they say double standards, it means that they are being South Korea is being hypocritical for calling North Korea missiles provocation while they are building their arms buildup. And Kim Yo-jong herself as well said that um, it's something similar to your own military reform 2.0 we have to do it too mm. so they are laying the groundwork for the rationale why they need their missiles in a very uh, normal normal country sort of manner mm-hmm. um comparing it to south korea's military plans as well and when when we link this to the idea of under of war declaration it seems like they're laying the groundwork maybe for the future to use this location to maybe justify their military test even when the end of war declaration is signed because they are saying that unless the double standard is dropped we cannot sign this so if we think of it in a flip side if they if 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 they think that south korea dropped the double standard and then signing the end of war declaration means that south korea won't be able to say anything about north korea's tests if south koreans are developing their weapons as well so it seems like something larger Mm. to me than just objecting it because they don't want it now um, and, uh, the thing about presidential candidates, um, it is very clear that the Yoon seok camp is against the idea of uh, pursuing end-of-war declaration prematurely within Moon's term and even within if Yoon wins within Yoon's term as well. Uh, they see that this idea of seeing end-of-war declaration as an entrance point into denuclearization doesn't mm. make sense because they see that... Uh, presuming that uh, end-of-war declaration will raise the possibility of denuclearization, de- denuclearizing North Korea is not logical because North Korea did not agree to any uh, denuclearization roadmap. They did not stop the nuclear development. They did not freeze any nuclear materials. Uh, but it's not like they do not like ending war. Mm-hmm. They say that nobody on the peninsula disagrees that mm-hmm. war should end. But um, it's like they have to think about it more. Okay. Uh, but the Lee camp, it's a little bit different. So, so the Yun camp's uh, top foreign policy advisor, Kim Song han during recent seminars said that it's something like trying to get married, um, but uh, having a wedding, but not registering to... Mm. And having married so he used this metaphor mm. and then ambassador former ambassador Wee Hong lak who is the main foreign policy person for the lee camp said yep. that no no it's not like that if you're using that metaphor um it is it's not the issue of getting married or not but it's more like continuing to date each other mm-hmm. so the the view is a little bit different here so the so ambassador Wee of the Lee camp, he's also not optimistic about the view of end-of-war declaration. It's not like Lee Jae-myung is going to go for the end-of-war declaration like the Moon administration is doing, but they still think that if it's part of a package deal, mm-hmm. um, when they are thinking about the roadmap towards denuclearization and peace settlement, it is worth going for it. But they are pessimistic about whether or not North Korea will say yes to it uh, because Ambassador Wee Song-lak directly mentioned the, the the thing about North Korea um Giving this condition of dropping hostile policy, which he referred to as very high bar. A high bar.
3: Okay. A lot of romantic metaphors here.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Playing
3: playing hard to get. Marriage is this a loveless marriage?
0: I mean, this is
2: three person. Doesn't sound very romantic.
0: Well, these are themes common to uh, many Korean, South Korean dramas. Um, Now, uh, to I'm going to skip to our last section here. We have to be brief because we're running short of time. Colin uh, Kim Jong Un recently wrote, according to state media. The Three Revolutions team movement is losing steam with a guidance system that appears in poor shape and having failed to secure unified command and in-depth leadership from the center to the lower ranks. What is the Three Revolutions team movement?
3: Uh, Well, this is something historical in North Korean culture, the socialist system culture. uh, uh, It's basically just uh, putting up well-performing, uh, high, high-performing factories, businesses, uh, farms, and setting them as an example and trying to use their experience to uh, push or inspire or uh, teach other others to, to also be exemplary and, you know, do the, the right socialist work. So, so
0: it's like a Worker
3: of the Month award. It's sort of a, a morale booster, is it? Yeah, but you can continue to earn these awards over time. Uh, you have to keep up your... Your award as a three, as a earning the red flag of the three revolutions. So, mm. uh, I mean, this kind of talk from Kim Jong Un. If you look back at the at the the last meeting in twenty sixteen, I think, or twenty fifteen. Um, sorry meeting of the three revolutions conference. <clears throat> ah, they have a conference for that. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what this the this conference was last month or two months, any recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The, this kind of talk about the the failures of this system to work and how it needs to improve—it's um, kind of so typical of, of of all of these conferences from every type of socialist organization in North Korea. Mm. Uh, these uh, unions, you know, farmers, uh, industrial workers' unions—all these that are all under the party—it's um, just more opportunity to say you're not perfect and you need to do it right. And it's some—you can look at it as admitting. Uh, failures and mm-hmm. admitting that the system is still not perfect and mm. how, you know, for decades, probably they've been saying in state media, you know, the, the perfect socialist future is just ahead, you know. Um, but he also says in the speech, I think, something about we can get there in the next 100 to 200 years or something. So,
0: um,
3: it, I mean, if you look at the big picture, it's, it's all just about um, trying to instill uh, uh, duty and uh, getting everyone in line Especially in these hard economic times mm-hmm. where uh, the the borders are shut and they're they're having to really deal with this uh, ideology of of juche the self-reliance they're really having to try to put it in action uh, so it's just about you know party discipline okay uh, ideological discipline and I don't think we can say that it's definitely failing in a worse way than ever before, but mm. it might be and uh, I think. The, the way that they're being so open about it, and especially with, uh, you know, youth, uh, how, uh, talking about the youth, uh, going away from the, the party ideas and the ideology, this kind of stuff is, uh, it definitely means that things are not perfect and not everyone is into the whole idea of the, this, this strict ideology. You have to follow at every moment of your life, uh, right. you know, in, under the, the father, everyone's father, Kim Jong-un. So, uh, Yeah. So it's too early to say that North Korea is in some
0: kind of ideological crisis, but there's definitely something going on there.
3: They're willing to say that there is some sort of ideological crisis to try to get people in line and to mm-hmm. try to improve discipline, and they've kind of done that for years. Okay. Um, now, what's, what's there to look forward to in December?
0: I know that uh, Colin's already mentioned the plenum coming up towards the end there. jong uh, Jongmin, James, what are you looking forward to? Uh, what stories are uh, on your radar for the last month of the year?
1: I think the the big thing we're going to be uh, looking forward to is December the 31st, January the 1st. Will Kim Jong Un uh, go back to his New Year's speech? Mm.
3: No. Probably not.
1: Yep. No. Nope. <laughs> Colin saying no. Jungman we're voting saying no. no. <laughs> okay, it's a no. Um, I mean
3: that doesn't matter. Who cares what the format is? We just want to hear him talk about policies. What? What's, but I do want see true. him
2: speak on video like before. But if uh, Jong Un, if you're listening, in the in the, listening, library,
3: the wood the wood panel study.
0: Or, mm? no,
3: yeah,
2: like on the couch and stuff. I yeah, it's just I care. I care. <laughs> I want to see.
1: Well, last year he only printed a, uh, a short letter in the in the ruling chinwin rights. Mm. and the the year before that he didn't deliver the traditional New Year's speech, but it still was a a lengthy
3: um, uh, overview. Mm-hmm. Of, They've already um, told us that he's that he's that they're going to have a plenum, and that means he will make a policy speech. I, I could say that. I mean. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's not like in the rules or anything that he has to make a policy speech, but come on. At the end of December, there's going to be a policy speech from Kim Jong-un, I could tell you that. There you go. There's something to look forward to. And Jongmin, what's on your radar for December?
2: I'm blanking. Uh, all of my focus right now is on presidential candidates, honestly. And for me, it's more like what to look out for the next four months rather than just December.
0: Right. Yeah, there's 15 weeks ahead of us until the, uh, the election on uh, Feb March... Gosh, I've already forgotten the date. There, March 9th, I'm going to say it's March 9th. It might not be.
3: How about I got a question for you too? The, this all of the the flurry of uh, the diplomatic uh, South Korea, U.S., China, uh, North Korea is is it's so much uh, less exciting now than it has been in the past. And it's 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 this whole end of war thing is the center of it right now. So is there going to be anything, uh, you know, any breakthroughs?
2: I would say that Moon administration is trying hard to make something happen but looking at the dynamic right now i don't think mm. anything massive will happen within december i could be proven wrong
3: but up until the election i guess is up until the election to...
2: there is beijing olympics as well oh, yeah. um and other uh, potential moments of um uh, things happening but um i i feel like i should have mentioned this but mm-hmm. um south korea and the u.s yesterday held the 53rd uh, security consultative meeting, and they came up with this um, announcement that they Mm. will be updating the war operations plan, and they will be preparing for it. They passed a guideline for it, um, and that they will be using next fall's drills for uh, checking the second phase of OPCON transfer, the FOC.
0: Right, that's operational control back to the South Korean military, even in wartime.
2: Yes, uh, so it seems like the focus of the diplomatic resources right now has been really focused on this rather than just mm-hmm. end of war declaration. So I should say there is things more than just end of war declaration on the U.S. alliance front going on.
3: And meanwhile, North Korea is completely silent. No, dip- no uh, foreign policy like statements from top. No Kim Yo Jong statements in the last month or two, and. Yeah. My sense is that towards the end of a South Korean presidency, it's
0: very rare to see any kind of major breakthrough. The last one we had was uh, in Norman Myon's time, and that was all rolled back as soon as Lee Myung-bak came in. So I would not expect anything major. Uh, not that I'm a pundit, but that's just my guess based on what I've seen. Uh, and that's where we're going to have to leave it today because I've got to get Chad in here to talk about Squid Game. So James, Jong Min, Colin, thanks for coming on the show. Great to see you. And we'll see you all at the next roundtable. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank you
0: very much. All right, um, I have now cycled out James, Jongmin and Colin and we welcome Chad here to the Roundtable Desk. Welcome, Chad.
4: Good morning.
0: Good morning. Uh, This is the big question on everybody's lips. Has Squid Game, the blockbuster South Korean Netflix series, been successfully smuggled into North Korea?
4: Well, according to Radio Free Asia, yes. Um, On November 16th, they published a story which said that Squid Game um, had made it to Pyongyang, just north of uh, mm. the capital city, Pyongyang.
0: That's their science city, isn't it?
4: Yep. Yeah. It was also, um, at the same time, popular in Pyongyang, the capital, mm-hmm. and also in uh, north Pyongyang province, which is uh, the um, province bordering China, so yep. where Sinuiju is. So three different locations, um, according to RFA. Mm. A week later, RFA said that... Um, a man had been sentenced to death for distributing the documentary in North Hamgyong province. Okay, which Um, is
0: over there on the northeast.
4: Yeah, so that's four different locations Mm. that um, RFA said Squid Game was uh, being distributed um, within two months of it coming out um, on September 17th on Netflix. Um this to me raised a lot of big questions because of the the border shutdown, um, yep. the shoot on site measures that we have um been observing and the fact that our own sources keep telling us that there's there's no foreign foods, no foreign products, no imports coming into the capital. And it's been like that for literally months. So I was curious how right. Squid Games could be circulating so much when even Vegetable mm. oil, sugar, uh, other items like coffee are still extremely hard to come by.
0: Right, because if it if it's being smuggled in on a physical medium, whether that be uh, a CD-ROM, a DVD, or a USB thumb drive, uh, that physically has to get over a border or on a ship into North Korea. And if if other products such as edible things, like you mentioned, uh, sugar and, and vegetable oil, if they're not getting into North Korea, then it's hard to imagine physical media with uh, South Korean uh tv shows getting in is there another way to transmit it
4: well according to rfa it entered the country on uh, memory storage devices such as they said usbs and hmm. sd cards smuggled in by ship and then it made its way inland now the problem is when you look at um the north korean maritime sector yes there are vessels arriving in both chongjin and in Nampo, okay. um, which could explain the presence of materials uh, in nearby areas. But um, when you look at what the North Korean vessels have been doing, they go and pick up their goods from China, then they sell, sail back to Nampo Lock Gate, and in they basically float for um, what we we observed earlier this year for about two months. Before they're actually allowed to come into the port, Mm. which we think is actually part of like a like a at sea disinfection process. So just let the virus, any risk of there being virus, just die out on the ship. Now that timeline doesn't make any sense because the the documentary, the, the TV show, only came out two months ago. So if there is a vessel coming in, it presumably would have had to follow the same process, unless we're talking about a very high risk smuggling route where. Someone is literally in a, maybe a small boat, mm. um, bringing it into the border. But again, you know, we know what happened to that South Korean that swam across the border just a, a year ago and um, shot um, when he arrived on the beach and they burned his body. I mean, that's that's, right. that's how extreme they are with COVID right now. So, so this got me thinking, um, and I just decided to speak to several experts, human rights people. Um, I spoke to defectors. I spoke to... Uh, Jiro um, Ishimaru, mm. who runs the Asia Press yep. organization and is, you know, well versed at getting information from inside the country. Um, and I spoke with people who are familiar with North Korea's media environment. And, you know, no one said it was impossible, but everyone was very skeptical about the idea that Squid Game is in massive distribution in North Korea right now.
0: Is it still just uh, Radio Free Asia, RFA, uh, that's going with this story?
4: Well, RFA's story triggered a a, a tidal wave of um, viral reports from Mm -hmm. other media, but I haven't seen anyone else claiming that Mm -hmm. this this, uh, TV show is trending in North Korea.
0: RFA sometimes does reports that don't end up being fully verifiable, right? Uh, single source uh, reporting about things that uh, we just can't seem to s- establish as true. Could this be one of those examples?
4: I'd say so. I mean, this is the this is the perfect kind of story that well, you know, I can't I can't be here on this podcast and say it's false, right? I mm-hmm. can't know that for a fact, right? It, but, we can't falsify it, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll 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 never know, and yeah, it's one of those kind of stories, but. Yeah, just there, there were there were several things that just didn't make sense. One was mm-hmm. how we got in there. Yep. Two, we know from RFA and Daily NK that there are huge friction points within inside North Korea right now to preventing domestic travel, mm-hmm. um, preventing crossing uh, provincial um, borders and getting into Pyongyang. Um, so, right. so the idea that this could have come in and then be mass produced and then be delivered and transported around north korea it goes against rfa and daily nk reporting yeah. and then of course the the key thing is the uh, uh law that was passed by the north korean government um last year uh, which um basically it has significantly increased the penalties for those who consume south korean media and introduced mm. the death penalty um so that that law uh, so there is a death penalty Well, yeah, as a possible penalty for distributing or selling South Korean content. It's the reactionary Mm. ideology and culture law. And it basically significantly increased the punishment for those who consume, distribute South Korean content. Now, um, it's long been known that South Korean content has been a kind of ideological pollution in North Korea and Mm. it's very popular. But um, experts I spoke to said that with that new law and given how violent squid game is and some of the sexual scenes in there that it would be quite unlikely that this would be something people would be risking their lives to to get across the country um and then uh, you know i spoke to uh, pastor eric foley who mm-hmm. sends balloon uh, sends bibles by balloon into north korea or at least he used to mm. um he he pointed out that you would either need to export you know hundreds of these usbs which is very difficult right now or have a distribution and production um set up inside Into North, North Korea. Korea which is extremely risky right mm-hmm. now.
0: Is there any sense that you got from uh, experts that you've talked to how it might be received by North Korean viewers would it resonate with them?
4: Well, Sokhil Park from Liberty in North Korea he he actually said um quote Given the graphic sex scenes and prominent North Korean defector storyline, the series would be seen as highly sensitive in North Korea, even compared to other South Korean media, Mm -hmm. decreasing already suppressed sharing behavior further. Uh, Another um, person I spoke to who's a regular business person in North Korea said, he just said that he didn't think any of the North Koreans he knows would be into Squid Game. Mm. Um, It's much more violent and complex than what they usually see. I just can't see it being popular, even if it was released legally, mm. the source said.
0: Was it not mentioned in North Korean media?
4: It's been mentioned in North Korea's external-facing media like Urimin Min Jokhi. Um they, uh, They've, you know, I think cited it as an example of how um, negative South Korean society is that um, storylines like this can come out of, of its failed capitalistic system. But, um,
0: yeah, I mean... Um, Okay, but that's external-facing North Korean media only. We haven't seen it then in in a Rodong Shinmun or a speech by Kim Jong Un or anything like that,
4: right? No, we I, we will we will not see mm. see that. I would be very surprised, but again, you know, it's it's possible, right? But I I I think um, very unlikely. And in fact, a senior North Korean defector I spoke to um, who wanted anonymity, he arrived very recently. He literally said it's log- logically and conceptually impossible that mm. this could have gotten. So, um, you know, I spoke to a lot of people that are, have um, uh, a strong interest in fr- information freedom and uh, advocate for information freedom and uh, who are critical of the North Korean government. And yeah, everyone seemed to... There seemed to be consensus that, that this is quite unlikely. Now, I didn't go back and speak to RFA mm-hmm. um, and, and and give them an opportunity to to mm. share further their side of the story, but I just think you know, their story should be self-contained. They've published two stories on this and I don't think it's my responsibility to ask them to explain more. When they wrote those stories, they should have um, made it uh, bulletproof as far as I'm concerned.
0: Have any of the uh, the experts that you talked to given you an indication of what South Korean cultural products have been popular in North Korea?
4: Recently, no, I didn't ask them about that, but, um, you know, I...
0: I'm just wondering, when they said, you know, that this is too violent, too complex, too sexual, maybe they gave you a counterexample of... Well,
4: some... I, well, one, one source um, whose comments I didn't include told me that his North Korean counterparts, last time he was there, they were asking for Harry Potter. Oh, um,
0: which is not a South Korean culture product at all. No. no. Okay, so that's popular in North Korea, no. or at least that's desired.
4: And Suki in Kim, Korea. in her book, um, uh, about her experience... Without you, there is no us. Yeah, mm. she also mentions that Harry Potter was... Um, was in demand from from her students
0: and that that's a, that's quite a few years ago now yeah. so it's it's clearly got some uh some longevity uh in north yeah.
4: korea i mean you know you've been on the beach with me in um in uh yonpyeongdo yeah. and we collected north korean trash i mean that's one way it could get in if people were dumping bottles and yeah. putting usbs inside um but that's not what RFA said and we don't know if you know for, that would require human rights activists to to deliberately pick right. squid game and send it in in, ut- in september in september and then and then what would what, what would be the the human rights value of sending mm. in squid game
0: no it, it is a it's a, a strange one yeah i remember uh many years ago when they were putting uh sending the the interview in the, the oh, yeah. picture of the interview in in uh, in some drives and I don't think that ever caught on in North Korea either. There's no, no indication that I've ever read since then that, uh, you know, it was uh, spread like wildfire
4: and people really enjoyed it. No, I mean, that would be ex- like, you'd be suicidal to to sit watching that. There's even, a lot of risk involved. There, even under true. the covers. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock RFA. It wasn't, that wasn't my intention, like to, to criticize mm. them as an organization. I know they do good work. Mm. And, they've um a lot of their th- stories they have done have proven to be true but on this one mm. i just uh had a hunch that something was not right and it seems that others agree with me and so it is what it is
0: so right now we're going to put a big question mark after the question as to whether there's any squid game uh, in north korea
4: yeah i think so
0: All right. Thanks for joining me on the show today, Chad O'Carroll.
4: You're welcome. Thanks, Jacko.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News subscription, take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula you can inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today also if you have any feedback questions or guest recommendations for us please send them to podcast at nknews.org our thanks as always to arias dare and brian betts for facilitating the podcast and to gabby magnuson our post-recording producer genius thanks and listen again next time